On the left is a picture of my dad at age 18. On the right is a picture of me at about the same age. Do you notice any difference? My dad and I were very, very close, but during my teen years, we entered a really rough patch. And these pictures reveal some of the symptoms of the conflict. My dad was clean-shaven throughout his life, and his hair was always short and very neatly brushed. I started growing my hair longer, and I didn't always care if it looked neat. And I could show you another picture where my hair is a whole lot longer than it is here. And I had a scraggly beard, and I wore shirts with weird designs. Dad didn't like any of this. He also didn't like my loud rock music, and he didn't like the way the teens of my generation danced. You see, he didn't like the fact that the culture had changed away from what was familiar to him. And he didn't try to understand it, he just rejected it. And by doing so, I felt rejected. And for my part, by the time I reached my late teens, I was convinced that I knew everything. I had all the answers. I was positive that my dad had nothing more to teach me. So I discounted the wisdom of his life experience and I stopped listening to him. And by doing so, he felt rejected. My dad and I were in the midst of a generational clash. And I'll bet every person in this room knows what that's like. Fact is, these kinds of disagreements and tensions are very real in families. And they are very real in our culture. And they are very real in the church of Jesus Christ. This is not an issue we can afford to ignore. Not if we want to have healthy families. Not if we want to be part of a healthy church. This is a reality of our relationships that God wants us to address. And so he offers us some timeless advice in the Bible. Advice that can help us learn to love people of other generations. People whose music and styles and priorities and preferences may be different than ours, but who do not deserve to be rejected because of that. God wants us to love them because He asks us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Now, I believe one key to understanding our generational differences is to grasp the power of the past. The older we get, the more tempting it can be to look back and to long for what was. That's why my dad struggled with my choices when I was a teen. He wanted things to be the way they used to be. And yet... As we learn from King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, it's not wise for us to cling to the past. 
Look with me at the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verses 9 to 10. And Solomon writes, Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. And do not say, Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Here's one of the things that I find really fascinating. These words were written about 2,300 years ago or more which tells us that nostalgia is not new. It is common for people throughout history to long for the past. Yet King Solomon says it's not wise to live that way. Well, why not? It's because if we continually yearn for yesterday, then we will not be content with today or tomorrow. And as our culture continually changes, as our culture continually evolves away from the past that we prefer, we may in fact become anxious or angry or even fearful. And if that happens, then, then this longing for the past can actually stunt our faith and it can rob us of hope. It can impair our relationships because rather than love the people in the generations coming after our generation, we start to resent those people. We get frustrated with those people whose values and priorities and preferences are not like ours. And it's really important for us to grasp that this advice from King Solomon does not only apply to those of us in the second half of life. I have a friend who's a teacher at a public middle school. And he's only 35 years old. And just last week he said to me, I just don't understand these kids today. Age 35. You see, regardless of our age, we can become nostalgic for the past, our past. Nostalgic for the way things used to be when we liked them, when the culture was more comfortable to us. Now, now even as we think about this, it's really important to not ignore the past. It's good to have rich memories of the past, and it's vital. In fact, it's essential to learn from the past. And we cannot dwell on the past because we never can recapture it. God wants us to be people who look forward to whatever comes next, always believing that the best days are not behind us. The best days always lie ahead. And with God, that can be true, that the best is yet to come. And Jesus shows us a way to keep the past and the present and the future in balance. Listen to how he, per, per, excuse me, listen to how he presented one of his foundational ideas in the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Jesus quotes from the past so we can learn from it. You've heard it said. 
He builds on the wisdom of the past with something new for today. But I tell you, and this new teaching points toward the future, so you may be children of the Heavenly Father. Learn from the past and build on that to get wisdom from God for today. And then live with a forward perspective. And when we do this, then the best days always lie ahead because we will live with hope. Hope for today. And hope for the life to come. And yet, if we want to do this well, if we want to do this wisely, if we really do want to learn from the past, so we can live faithfully today and maintain hope for the future, then we must recognize that no single generation has all the answers. And yet, so often we live like that. My generation, we've got it figured out. The reality is we can learn and we need to learn from people of every age and in every stage of life because each person in God's family has something to contribute that can help any of us more faithfully follow Jesus Christ. And we begin to see the reality of this on the day when God releases the Holy Spirit into the world in a new way. As we read in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, every believer, not just some, every believer gets the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, the Apostle Peter is speaking and says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. They will prophesy. These words appear twice in the Bible. We encounter them first in the book of Joel, where they are given to us as a future prophecy. And then a few hundred years later, these words are recited here by the Apostle Peter on the day when the prophecy is fulfilled. So God's truth from the past informs Peter's present and points him toward a more hopeful future. Because God always wants His people looking forward. And even though this event is in our past, we can look forward because of what changed on this historic day. Prior to this time, the Holy Spirit was present in the world, but only at specific times and in specific ways with specific people. On this day, God gives the Holy Spirit to every follower of Jesus, without distinction. Men, women, young, old, everyone gets the gift of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live within every believer, and He does not discriminate based on sex or age. He's present with each of us to guide us and help us live by faith. And this passage makes it clear that the Spirit is the one who decides what spiritual gifts we get for the benefit of the church. The Holy Spirit decides, not me, not you, the Holy Spirit decides who will get to see visions and dream dreams and, and give out prophecies from God. 
And so the arrival of the Holy Spirit on this day transforms forever the nature of the community of faith because it means that every single person in God's family adds value to our life together. Every person has a role to play in the church. And so, because of the presence of the Spirit, we can never look at another believer and say, oh, oh you're too young, or you're too old to add any value to our life together. You're too young or you're too old to be of any significance in my life. You're too young or you're too old to teach me anything. We cannot say such things. We cannot assume such things. We must listen to people across the generations. And if we're listening, who knows? God just might give us a vision for the future. By speaking to us through an older man or a younger woman or anyone else he might choose. And we won't hear it if we're not looking for it and listening for it. And I don't know about you, but, but I take this very seriously. And that's why I love learning from older people in the faith. Older people who have been faithful through job changes and relocations and raising families. People who have endured loss and pain, as so many of our older members have. People whose faith has held firm through times of war and economic hardship. Older believers inspire me. And their experience reminds me that God never abandons His children. And therefore, I can with great confidence always hold firmly on to Jesus Christ. Thank you for helping me to live by faith. I also love learning from younger people. Because younger people often are so very passionate about their faith. They're people who want, want their faith to mean more than just going to church. They want their faith to fuel them to make a difference in this world. Younger believers inspire me. They inspire me to never settle into a routine faith. Their experience reminds me to keep looking forward to my next adventure with Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for helping me to live by faith. You see, I believe we can learn from young and old because the Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate. He lives within each of us. And so everyone, young and old, has value. They can add things to our life together. And we will miss out on the richness of this experience unless we make it a priority to love people of other generations. We need to become intentional about getting to know each other and understanding each other so we can encourage each other and learn from each other. And this requires us to treat everyone with respect, regardless of their age. 
the Apostle Paul points out in some verses from the book of 1 Timothy, chapters 4 and 5. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Then at the start of chapter 5, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. And younger women as sisters with absolute purity. At the time Paul writes these words, Timothy was a young leader in the church, probably in his mid-30s. And Paul tells him that his youth is irrelevant to his leadership. What matters is, is not his age, it's his spiritual gifting. If the Holy Spirit has equipped Timothy to lead and to teach, then the church should not belittle him for his youth but should encourage him and pray for him and follow his lead. And Paul wants Timothy to know that despite his youth, he can be an example of faith to other believers, both young and old. Paul also reminds Timothy of the great value of believers from other generations. And since in the Bible the church is often described as a family, Paul puts his comments in the context of a family. In a healthy family, mothers and fathers are respected by their children. Older siblings encourage younger siblings. Paul takes those, those principles and he says, this is how God wants things to be in the church. This is what our life together should look like. That our relationships across the generations within the community of faith should be characterized by graciousness and love, and respect. And so if we see an older person struggling in the faith, perhaps due to the infirmities of old age, which I don't, I don't think any of us can fully appreciate until we experience those things, or perhaps an older person is struggling in the, the faith because they're just kind of stuck in a perpetual longing for the past. What do we do if we see that happen? We come alongside that person and we love them. And we encourage them. We don't belittle them. Or if we see a younger person who may be going off the rails, perhaps it's because their love of what's new and different is causing them to be lured away from, from Jesus. If we see that happening, we come alongside them. We love them and we encourage them. We don't mock them. We build relationships where we can encourage each other and support each other and love each other and learn from each other so that we all can become more effective at navigating the challenges of the life of faith. No single generation has all the answers. So there's great wisdom and insight to be gained from the different life experiences of every believer. Followers of Jesus of every age, in every stage of life. And you and I, individually and together, will gain great benefit from this if we let these Bible passages get a grip on us. And so I really want us to embrace these three principles. Number one, that we live the life of faith by looking forward not back. 
And number two, we don't discriminate based on age because the Holy Spirit doesn't discriminate. And number three, we treat people of all ages with respect. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves by loving people of other generations. I want to suggest a couple of ways that we can put these principles into practice in our own lives. One, in, one suggestion involves our own families, and one suggestion involves our church family. As I said earlier, my dad hated the loud rock music that I enjoyed as a teenager. His usual response was to holler at me from the other room and just say, Turn it down! However, one night he knocked on my door. And he asked if he could come in, and I said, well, of course. And then I, then I had to turn the music down so I could talk to him. <laughs> but here's what he said. He said, son, I don't know if I'll ever like your music, but I'd like to understand it. I'd like to understand why you like it. Would you play for me your three favorite songs? And then we could talk about them together. And so we did. We listened. And we talked. And he even found a song by Elton John that he liked. <laughs> oh, I loved my dad. I loved the fact that he was willing to take the first step to cross the generational divide. He made the effort to better understand me. And because he listened to me, I was willing to listen to him. And after a while, I even listened to some of his music. And I actually started to enjoy the big band sound from the swing era. As we continued to listen to music, we found that we both liked jazz. And so we got beyond our individual music preferences. We made great progress at bridging the generation gap and we moved our relationship to a much healthier place. If you face generational clashes in your family, I encourage you to be like my dad. Take the initiative. Make the effort to understand the younger or older members of your family and let God bring you closer together. And this same idea applies to us as a congregation because we are a multi-generational church. So we need to do the same thing here. Now, one of the things I love about Garden Way is that so many of us have healthy relationships across the generations. But some of you don't. And from time to time, I see people in the second half of life Ignoring the younger members of our church and vice versa. And from time to time, I overhear a hallway conversation where people of one generation are ridiculing those of other generations. And when I see this, it breaks my heart because I know that it breaks the heart of our God. He wants us to love the other members of God's family without regard for their age or their stage of life. 
And so here's what I suggest. Last year, we introduced the Dine With Me Challenge, and a number of you have taken that challenge, and you've been getting together with other members of the church family for a meal or perhaps even just over a cup of coffee. You've been getting together with people that you don't know very well in order to build deeper relationships and stronger connections so you can encourage each other in the life of faith. And my encouragement to you now is this, continue to do so, but do it across the generations. Grab a meal or a cup of coffee with someone who's older than you or someone who's younger than you. And when you get together, don't lecture each other. Don't talk at each other. Have a conversation. Listen to each other. Try to understand each other. Understand how each of you in your own way are trying to live out the life of faith. Use that as an opportunity to encourage each other in a way that will help each of you be a more faithful follower of Jesus. It's not always easy to do this because our most natural tendency is to spend most of our time hanging out with people our own age. And so this won't happen unless we deliberately make some changes. Over the past couple of years, my wife and I have been very convicted about this, and we made some very intentional changes in our schedule. We realigned some commitments so that we could spend more time interacting with people in the younger half of our church. And it has been a wonderful experience for us. It's been good for us. Based on our own life experiences, we've been able to pass on some things of value to men and women who are younger in age and younger in the faith. And at the same time, we have learned from them. Their faith in Jesus, their passion, the way that they're living out their faith in their generation has encouraged us, and at times it has challenged us. We've learned some great things from the younger people in this church. God wants us to love each other across the generations, to love each other as we love ourselves. And so I want you to pray and ponder this question. How might the Holy Spirit prompt you to build positive, healthy, encouraging relationships with people in this church of other generations. I want us to get this right. It is so important to get this right. Because when we do, individually, we will all have a richer, more well-rounded experience of faith that will keep us closely connected to Jesus Christ. And as we do this, we'll be creating a healthier, more vibrant church. We will have a church that will leave a lasting impact on the world around us. And not just in this generation, but in the generation to come.